Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is the co-founder and CEO of Filament Health, Benjamin Lightburn. And today we're talking about some some stuff that you don't, you're not even ready for this yet, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Benjamin, I'm really excited to have you here today. Very happy to be here. Thanks, Jared. Let's, let's just start it off. Uh, if you could tell the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive into Filament Health and some of the cool things that you're doing. Sure. So my background is uh, has been dedicated to the commercialization of novel phytochemical extraction technologies, if you can if you can believe it. And what that really means is commercializing new and better ways for extracting high value natural compounds from all kinds of natural sources and then selling the resulting extracts and product actual products into a variety of different industries. Um, I've been a part of a number of companies now that were focused on that exact same thing. Um, and recently, in the last few years, uh, started uh, this current company called Filament Health with some uh, team members from, from previous companies. And Filament Health is a natural psychedelic drug development company. And what that means is that we've developed specific technology for producing pharmaceutical grade drug candidates that are extracted from natural psychedelic sources. So we're talking about things like magic mushrooms, ayahuasca vines, mescaline containing cacti, salvia, ibogaine, the list goes on and on. And bringing our experience of making standardized high quality extracts from many different industries to bear in the psychedelics market. Why do this? Well, good question. Well, there's a number of reasons. Um, so up until Filament Health came along, in fact, all psychedelic research in clinical trials had actually been done with synthetically manufactured substances. And we're talking about, again, like psilocybin, ibogaine, mescaline, things like that. And, and, and when I say synthetically manufactured, that means substances, they were kind of artificially recreated in a lab. But as it turns out, as you can imagine, the overwhelming majority of people's experience with psychedelics is with natural, right? People out in the world don't have access to synthetic psilocybin. They have magic mushrooms, right? They don't have synthetic mescaline. They have cacti. And we thought that in the future psychedelics market, people would want to continue to be able to have natural substances or at the very least, have a choice between synthetic or natural. So we set out to make the actual very first natural psychedelic drug candidates and actually get them into FDA authorized clinical trials. The other interesting difference between a naturally extracted and a synthetic product is that, well, in the case of say magic mushrooms, just like for cannabis, mushrooms contain much more than just psilocybin, right? Cannabis contains much more than just THC. But when you make psilocybin through synthesis, you're not making all of these other secondary related compounds, which can have a beneficial effect. We're talking about other compounds like psilocin, baocystin, norbaocystin, the list goes on and on. When we make a natural extract, we're actually extracting all of those compounds along with the psilocybin and preserving them in the same ratio and quantity as if you were going to consume a magic mushroom. So that's another reason. There's kind of like the consumer preference, you know, familiarity with natural products, as well as kind of like a more functional benefit in that 
our products are actually complex mixtures of all of the naturally occurring compounds that you find in the natural psychedelic source. For the audience listening that maybe is not aware of the, the benefits of psychedelic medicine, could you list off some of those for us? Psychedelics have been shown to be very, very promising therapies in a, in a number of different therapeutic areas. Um, psilocybin, for instance, is advancing into phase three trials for the treatment of treatment-resistant depression. So these are patients for whom multiple courses of traditional antidepressants have failed, and yet psilocybin is showing pretty strong efficacy. We have MDMA, which is currently in, again, phase three trials for PTSD, for which existing, uh, for which existing therape therapeutic choices are very, very limited or non-existent in many cases. Um, recently, we've seen a lot of really good research for substance use disorders, alcohol use disorder, opioid use disorder, methamphetamine use disorder. The list really goes on and on, and, and, it's, and it's growing every day. When psychedelics were first discovered by Western medicine in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, there was actually a, a huge um, uh, groundswell of, of research and, and focus and attention. And in fact, there were even clinics where psychedelic assisted therapy was actually ongoing every day. But in the 1970s, um, they all became schedule one controlled substances and almost all research uh, funding and attention dried up and a lot of stigma became associated with these compounds because they've been associated with the hippie counterculture and the anti-war movement, you know, no fault of their own, right? Um, so we kind of had this like 50 year pause on psychedelic research. And thankfully, a couple of brave torchbearers and keepers of the faith managed to keep the flame alive so that now in the 2010s, 2020s, we've seen an, a re-explosion of all this kind of research. And the really interesting thing is that Back in the 40s and 50s, when this research started, we really didn't have the same kind of modern clinical research methods that we have now, right? And so you have this whole field of medicine, which is kind of coming back into the foreground for a second time, but with all kinds of new clinical tools and you know more, much more knowledge about what it constitutes to do medical research and, and all these kinds of things. And And really, so when we look at like talk us through some of the latest trends that are happening in the space in, in terms of research. And then I guess couple that with some of the biggest challenges that we still see in the, the psychedelic industry. Some of the latest trends that we're seeing are branching out into new indications. So the other day, actually, uh, Filament, we announced um, a, an academic trial partnership with UCSF where um, they'll be studying our botanical psilocybin drug for methamphetamine use disorder, right? So there's always people looking at new disorders, new treatments. Um, the overarching problem is the mental health crisis, right? So rates of depression, suicide, anxiety, addiction, all of these things are rising with unfortunately no end in sight. And so psychedelics are really providing hope as a whole new set of tools in the toolbox or a whole new to toolbox to, you know, kind of address some of these very, very serious, um, insidious and overarching existential threats essentially to our, to our society.
But that doesn't mean there aren't still, it's not like we have a green light, right? It's a long way away from full legalization, even though you do read about various state level legalization efforts and various jurisdictions around the world that are taking some baby steps towards legalization. They are still schedule one controlled substances and to do any legal research in the field is very complex right here at our facility. We have all kinds of different licenses in order to manufacture the substances, to extract them, to package them. You know, we have, there's mountains and mountains of red tape, which is a little bit frustrating because there's also stores where you can buy magic mushrooms. They openly advertise magic mushrooms, you know, in downtown. And here we are, you have to spend you know, millions of dollars getting a facility all up and running and blah, blah, blah. But this is the framework that we have. And this is what we need to do in order to address 50, 60 years of stigma and inattention uh, of research. So challenges definitely on the on the on the legal side, on the stigma side, on the acceptance side. But, you know, as more and more research comes out, it's becoming harder and harder to justify, you know, psilocybin being a, a schedule one controlled substance, which means that it's very dangerous, high risk of abuse and no accepted medical benefit. I mean, none of those three things are are in any way remotely true. What are some of the things, Benjamin, that you're really excited about moving forward in, in regards to the company? What, what's, what can you tell us about what's next? What's always very exciting for me is new clinical trial partnerships. Um, we have a business model where we provide um, academics study drugs uh, free, free of charge. And this is a way of advancing research all around the world, because again, getting GMP access, GMP um, drug candidates for academic research is, is a big challenge for a lot of people all around the world. Um, in addition, we license our drug candidates to third party drug developers who are excited about the prospect of doing drug development on a natural candidate, because they think that people will prefer a natural candidate. And they think that there may be improved efficacy due to the presence of these secondary compounds. So as time goes by, we have more and more research coming out. We have more and more um, drug developer partners that advance their clinical development program. The other thing we're seeing is legalization efforts. So Oregon State, as I mentioned, um, implemented a legal psilocybin framework this past January. So still in the very early days, but it will be very exciting to see how this happens. Interestingly, in Oregon, they've actually prohibited synthetic psilocybin, so only natural substances will be allowed. As well, we've seen actually Australia uh, announce that they will be rescheduling psilocybin from Schedule 9 to Schedule 8, making it eligible for something down there, which they have that's called the Authorized Prescriber Scheme. Essentially, what it means is that psychiatrists will be able to apply for approval to prescribe psilocybin out in the real world to real patients with a limited number of indications. So we're seeing these kinds of parallel legalization access efforts in addition to the sort of traditional FDA pharmaceutical uh, approval process, and which is obviously very exciting because it means that people can get access quicker and hopefully more uh, cost effectively. Well, Benjamin, it'll be interesting to see how you continue to grow this. Congrats on all that you and your team have accomplished so far. And hopefully we can have you come on again in the near future to, to dive into some other topics. That'd be great. Thank you so much.